Idleman Unplugged is part of the Edify Podcast Network. I want to see your face Pass me by the crowds of people The priests who sing your praise Hello, my name is Shane Idleman, and I'm the pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship in Leona Valley, California. It is my personal heart and goal for you to see truth through a biblical perspective. I hope that you enjoy this segment of Idleman Unplugged. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Idleman Unplugged. I've got an incredible guest on the show today, and I want to just put this book out here. So far, I couldn't even get through the first chapter. I was highlighting, I think, every other paragraph, and so I said I would definitely want to get Pastor Urban Letzer uh, on the program. I would encourage you to find this book at Amazon or ChristianBook.com. I'm thinking even give it to young adults. I mean, it's it just, this is what young adults need to hear today. Um, and Urban Lutzer, I don't know if I've shared much of this with you, Pastor Lutzer, but your, your works and your, your books have been very instrumental in my own life going back about 22 years ago. I think the one, did you write one on a Da Vinci code or the Da Vinci I did. Deception? I did. Yes. The Da Vinci Deception. You have a very yes. good memory. So yeah. I was just coming back to the Lord, I think of within a few years and all this fake information. And I got your book and that really helped get, keep me grounded in, uh, with so many different opposing voices out there. Um, so anyway, again, I want to, I want to just encourage this. I'm going to probably recommend it quite a bit because I don't think we can have enough truth in our culture, uh, right now. We, the, the problem is, the problem isn't we have, too much truth. The problem is we don't have enough truth and getting this back into the hearts of people. So Dr. Erwin Lutzer, it is great to have you on the program. Uh, do you have any opening thoughts or you want me to get right into the questions? Well, we can get right into the questions, but even though you advertised the book, you did not give the True. title. <laughs> True. I did. I just put it up here. We're, we're gonna be on yeah, oh, yeah. Today. All right. Yeah. It, it's entitled uh, no, no Reason to uh, no, no Reason, reason to, to Hide. hide. Let me say yeah. it again, No Reason to Hide by Erwin Lutzer, uh, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. Uh, that's incredible title and subtitle, too. Again, so No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. I would go to Amazon or Christian Book, even ChristianBooks.com, even uh, more so than Amazon, and get that ordered. I would. What we're going to do at our church is order a box and uh, get it to our young adults and get it to um, those in leadership. It's such an important topic. So I just want to, I know you wouldn't come up with this on your own, but I want to read something that H.B. Charles Jr. said in the introduction. He said there are few few voices in our day that are as clear and courageous as Irwin's. And so I just want to personally, I'll obviously thank you for that. I know as a, as a voice for truth in our culture, it's not easy. I mean, we're getting, you know, f- feedback, pushback every single day of the year, as are you 365 days a year. It's not popular, uh, but it is, it is powerful to be on the right side of t- truth. So I'm not going to do a lot of talking. I want to hear from you, but um, why do you think that is that there are so few voices right now, pastors primarily? Well, what I'd like to begin by saying is that we didn't ask for the culture war that has come upon us. True. The culture war has come to us. And what we need to do is to respond to it. And we can't pretend that everything is like it used to be when everything is indeed collapsing around us. And one of the things I did, Shane, is I looked at the Christian church. I looked at culture Mm -hmm. and I said to myself, what are all those pressure points? 
that the church is facing today. And as you know, they are facing many. And how can we think through scripturally how to respond to it? For example, I talk about cultural demonization where you are branded in a certain way, and we can go into that, but also two chapters on the issue of race. Right. Because, you know, today, critical race theory is tearing us apart and the Bible has the power to bring us together. And so what we have to do is to think through one of the longest chapters is diversity, equity and inclusion. And I point out how that works against us rather than for us and intends to tear us apart. And then the whole issue also of regarding whether or not we should feel guilty because, after all, you know, we're living on stolen land. And then uh, one of the most interesting chapters, you know, I've had a great deal of interest in the whole issue of propaganda. So I have a chapter on propaganda and how language is used in order to foster a certain agenda and how propaganda works. And I hope that you can ask some questions about that. And then, you know, the whole transgender thing. One of my desires is to help parents answer this question. What do I say to my child if she or she she comes home and says, Mom and Dad, I think I'm trans. Mm. How do we handle that? And what's happening in the schools and the great COVID reset? I have a chapter on that and then persecution, how we're to look at suffering. So that's actually my burden. You know, I'm a little older than you are. And my desire is to help younger pastors, but also the person sitting there wondering, where do I draw the line? Uh, just very quickly, and then we'll get into your questions. But for example, oh, no, I love it. You're just you're feeding you're feeding us. So this is great. All right. Uh, you know, a, a school teacher here in Chicago told me that he was told it is not enough for you to simply, uh, you know, tolerate same sex marriage. If you don't celebrate it, True. you might lose your job. Now, here's the question that the church has to face. If he loses his job because he cannot celebrate what God has condemned, if he loses his job, is the rest of the church going to come around him and say, we're going to help support you during this transition? After all, you have a wife and children to take care of. We're even going to have to rethink the role of the church hanging together and in this way, standing against the culture. And another point I make in the very first chapter is this, that is very critical. Evil never retreats on its own. It only retreats when it is confronted by a more superior power. And you and I know that that power is the gospel of Christ. That power is the church. And what we have to do is to recognize that God has put us in this era for this moment. And we have to ask what price we're willing to pay. I'll show you how relevant this is. Just a couple of days ago, someone who is a mayor, uh, a mayor in one of the suburban areas of Illinois, albeit that vague, he signed a declaration to celebrate same-sex marriage. Now, he was under a lot of pressure to do that, but the question is this, And it's going to be a question that's going to come up over and over again as we go into darkness. Are we willing to even lose our jobs in order to stand for truth? 
or are we going to submit to the culture? I say, and if you read the first chapter, you know it's there, that there are three different kinds of churches. One is the complicit church. Mm -hmm. It gives the culture whatever the culture wants. And then you have a compliant church. It doesn't agree with the culture, but would never speak against it. And then, of course, you have the courageous church who says, you know, there are certain principles that it is very important for us to say we cannot compromise even at great personal cost. So those are the kinds of challenges to which I have been writing. And uh, that's the challenge of the book, No Reason to Hide. Yeah, and that's why I think it's important for us and even adults watching this or listening to get it out to young adults, to get it out to those people, because I read it and like, you know, you're preaching to the choir. Like, this is exactly what you're saying is what I'm, I say from the pulpit, but we've got to get the message out to those who are really struggling in what they believe. And so that would lead me, I think, into the next question from what you're seeing. Is this why so many Christians are deconstructing their faith right now? And why aren't many pastors talking about this? Do you think it just really has to go with, to me, it has to do with their intimacy with the Lord. You know, that fullness of the spirit when you're, when you're surrendered to God and praying and seeking him, that boldness comes out. So to me, it's kind of a spiritual indictment on the pulpits of America because of their silence. But I don't know what you're seeing on your end with that. You know, the capitulation, I guess, is confusing. And absolutely, I agree with you. And I make the point in the book that when young people go to college, it's not as if they will be talked out of their faith, but they'll be mocked out of their faith. Yep. Mm -hmm. They'll be said, you actually believe that old book and you believe Leviticus 18, what it has to say about homosexuality. I mean, how can you do that today? So that's the kind of challenges. But let me tell you that oftentimes young people today deconstruct because they've been hurt by the church. They've been hurt by others. If we are judgmental, they, of course, react against that. That's why it's so important. You know, before we went on this together, you and I were having a conversation and you emphasize the need for humility and brokenness because we can say a lot of strong things as long as we are humble and broken. But if the only way we are perceived is to be judgmental and uncaring, that, of course, turns young people away. But at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. It has to do with their relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have to help them see that Jesus made the statement, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? And that, of course, involves apologetics at times. It involves instruction. It also involves a lot of repentance and prayer because the culture is collapsing around us. Boy, Erwin, I could really springboard off of that um, because one of the things I, I feel that God has called me to is is hitting that area of what they consider the right, you know, the 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 the, the Christian right, and a lot of them are, and a lot of us are really angry, you know. But are we broken? We're, we're boy, we're upset, but we're are we humble? And these little tweets that go back and forth and these condescending remarks, it's like there's really no difference. That brokenness, and that humility is missing. And I think the more time I spend with God, the more bolder I become. And when it's, when it's, when it's, um, underscore with love, it is powerful. But it's funny. I just, the one thing I highlighted here on my questions is evil never retreats on its own. I mean, if anything hit me the first chapter, I had, I had to put the book down. 
and say, God, please help us. God, we need to be that voice of truth. We need another spiritual awakening. And that is so profound because evil never retreats on its own unless a greater force begins to restrain it, which we know is to be God. And so I was going to ask, why should uh, the, well, the question comes up and I, I agree with you. So I'm just I'm just going to ask the question. Why should the church be involved in politics? Well, that's an interesting question. Actually, you can't help it. Now, as a pastor, I have never endorsed a political candidate or a political party. But when you stop to think of it, obviously, we should speak on those issues that oftentimes are deemed to be political. Everything today is political. Abortion is political. Same-sex marriage. Transgenderism is political. Name anything and you'll discover that it is indeed political. So if you're going to say, I'm never going to speak about things that impinge on politics. You know, I also mentioned in this book that I was in Washington, D.C. a number of years ago, and we were meeting with a congressman who said this. He said, you know, you expect us to inaugurate righteous legislation here in Washington, but how can we do that unless you send us righteous people? Mm -hmm. So for us to back out of the political process and pretend that politics isn't important, that is just wrong. Politics is very important. I make the appointment that the point, uh, you know, in North Korea, if you asked Christians, would they say that politics isn't important or Absolutely. would you ask uh, in Nazi Germany, do you think that politics is important? Now, you and I know that it is not all important. That, of course, has to do with eternity and the good news of the gospel. But for us to pretend that we can live in a bubble, that's why in the book, that we're talking about no reason to hide. At the end of every chapter, I don't know if you noticed this, but I give an example of some individual who stood against the culture and who therefore is a good representative for us to take courage and hope. Let me give you one example. I think it's in the second chapter where I tell the story that when a deputy gave a fantastic speech on Joseph Stalin in 1937, everyone stood to clap. They clapped for 10 minutes and then they clapped for 11. And finally, the director of a paper factory sat down. Everybody was glad because then they could sit down. But that night, the director of the paper factory was interrogated. He was put in prison for 10 years. But during his interrogation, he was told, don't ever be the first one to stop clapping. So our woke culture says, are you clapping? Are you clapping loud enough? Are you clouding? Are you clapping enthusiastically enough? Right. You had better clap or you're going to be in trouble. And this is seen in ways that we've never seen it before in, in America. You know, it used to be that if you were a Christian and a good chemist and had a PhD in chemistry, you could probably get a job at one of our universities. But today you'll be asked, are you comfortable with multiple pronouns? Are you interested in diversity? Are you on board with the LGBTQ agenda? All of that now suddenly takes precedence over competence. Wow. So the issue is not whether or not you're competent. The real issue is whether or not you have loud enthusiasm for the cultural narrative. 
And then we see what happens, and this also relates to the Soviet Union. You know that in Russian, the word pravda means truth, where the government became the standard bearer of truth. By the way, I have to talk about this. I know that I'm talking a lot, but you asked me to talk a lot, didn't yeah, you? I'm, I'm just going to pro- I'm just going to probe you, and we'll just let you go. I mean, that's why we're <laughs> all right, here, all right. Hard. You know, in uh, George Orwell's 1984, Winston was taken into a room, and he was told that two plus two is sometimes equal to five, sometimes it's equal to three, sometimes it's equal to both. I've often thought about that. I don't know if. Really, they expected Winston to believe that two plus two was five or three. What they wanted to do is to make him comfortable living with lies. So today we live with lies. Everybody knows that men can't have babies, too. Everybody knows that. But we have to go along with a lie and woe to those who aren't woke enough to accept it. So you have these powerful cultural currents that go along. In fact, this is on the chapter where I discuss the whole business of propaganda. I'm going to say a word or two more about that. I give six different ways that language is used in propaganda. I think it's number two, where I talk about speech codes. And I quote a university saying, you know, you can't say freshman, you can't say alderman, you can't say um, this word and that word. And if there's a barbershop in your area, don't say that he takes in walk-ins because, after all, there are people who can't walk and you might offend them. Now, let's take a step back, take a deep breath, and ask ourselves this question, what in the world is going on? Is this intended to elevate the discussion? Of course not. It's intended to silence the discussion. People are so intimidated, they don't know what they can say. Can you still go into a restaurant and ask for a menu? Can women still have manicures? Nobody knows. And what was okay last week might be wrong this week. So the whole intention of our universities today and the censorship that goes on is to so create a tunnel, a tunnel of thought that everyone is supposed to get in line with and woe to those who may go outside of that tunnel because the goal is ideological conformity. And if some of these students hear something they don't like that offends them, they have to retire to a safe room where they can lick the wounds of their unappreciated victimhood. So that's where we are today. And language is used in such a way to obscure reality. One other thing or two other things about propaganda. You always need somebody to hate and then you need fear. So it's very important for you to hate those whom you call right wing. And there are some who are right wing that we wouldn't want to be identified with. But the point is that you identify Christians. They are the ones that are impeding progress. And so you say things that cause people to hate. But then you also need fear. And by the way, it was Hitler, you know, who said that uh, hate is much more powerful than mere dislike. So we're living in an era in which there is so much hate 
And of course, we have to think about that. And one other thing about propaganda, as you might know, I've studied this. I wrote a book on Hitler and all those things. So one other thing. Remember that the purpose of propaganda is to so shape people's view of reality that even when confronted with a mountain of evidence, they will not change their minds. Now, you know, you and I have met people that, uh, quite frankly, facts do not matter. What matters is desire. Churchill said that the desire to believe something is much more powerful than logical arguments. So if I desire to believe something, I will go ahead and believe it no matter how absurd it is. And speaking of absurdity, Voltaire evidently said, if you translate it from French into English, he said that if you if they can get us to believe absurdities, they can then get us to commit atrocities. So we're living in a day, yeah. my brother, when absurdity no longer is an argument against anything. As a matter of fact, the more absurd something is, the more likely it is mm -hmm. to be believed. And I have to throw this in because this is so critical. You know, Booker T. Washington said something that should be inscribed in every single Christian home, all people who are listening right now. He said this, evil doesn't become good and wrong doesn't become right just because the majority believe it to be so. And that's why God is calling us to stand against this culture, even though everyone may say that two plus two is five. We have to keep on believing that it is really four. Wow. And if you're just tuning in again, we're talking about Erwin Letzer's new book, No Reason to Hide. No Reason to Hide. I, I and I'm, I'm usually don't push a lot of products, of course, but I think this is so important. I mean, this is, this is where our foundation is crumbling. Uh, and it's, to me, it's amazing because on social media, people say, well, how, how can you say a man can't have a, a baby? And I'm like, am I in the twilight zone? I mean, it's like so, so absurd. So a lot of that made sense because you get, I mean, look what happened with COVID. They don't want facts. They don't want, you know, it's just this, this kind of brainwashing. And you mentioned the great reset who I, what I, what I truly believe in. There's a, there's something happening underpinning it, but back to this thing on politics, you said politics can't be, cannot be separated from morality and morality cannot be separated from Christianity. I think that's the key from the borders to gay marriage. Maybe 40 years ago when politics talked about paving the roads, you know, or this, you know, uh, this, this national monument or, but now politics is actually dealing with important biblical issues. So the church has to be engaged. And I think those who are listening, you know, you might lose your job. You might, I mean, when you start to make decisions based on that, then you, you really quench and grieve the Holy Spirit within you. And then you're going to lack the boldness. You're not going to be confrontational uh, in a loving way. You're going to compromise. And that's what I think is happening to a lot of Christians. Is there, And I talk to nurses and school teachers and, you know, I, Shannon just can't say anything. And, and I understand that. I mean, I'm not in their position yet. I mean, they're coming after pastors big time pretty soon. But you know, at some point we've got to say, Hey, enough is enough and be able to take that stand. Um, you also mentioned, you know, once freedom is crushed, the church either diminishes or it is destroyed. Uh, obviously we know it can flourish in persecution, but the Bible, I think people get confused about this. The Bible never 
encourages persecution. It says we will be persecuted to grow in it, to be, but we're, we're encouraged to, um, fight for God given freedoms. It's God who gave us the freedom to worship, the freedom to preach his word. And so I think people yeah. get confused on that point too. Well, you know, we can look at Korea. South Korea has yeah. freedom and the church has grown throughout the years. I understand it's waning now a little bit, but mm-hmm. some of the largest churches in the world were in South Korea because it had freedom. There were uh, some pastors from South Korea that came to Moody Church. I brought them in and we prayed together at the platform of the Moody Church. But I asked them, I said, what do you hear about your brothers and sisters in North Korea? And they said, we hear virtually nothing. Uh, And, you know, the point is that for us to glorify persecution as if it's something and, and sometimes If I might say this, I don't think I've ever said this before, but there are those who rather naively think, oh, it's good if we're going to be persecuted. Well, the simple fact is throughout history, you think of North Africa, which at one time was largely Christian. Islam came and wiped it out. So let's remember that um, God has called us to this moment. And what we need to do is to stand against the culture. You know, as I'm talking to you, since you've been so kind to give me so much permission to just go ahead and talk. There is another subject that I deal with in the book that I hinted at when I was giving a summary of the book, and that is what do parents say to a child who comes home and says, I think I'm trans. What we have to understand is that self-perception is not an always an awesome guide to reality or as to who you are. It is possible, you know, to go into a psych ward and you find somebody who genuinely believes that he is Napoleon, but that doesn't make him Napoleon. You can have self-perception. And the illustration I give in the book maybe is more relevant. You have a young woman who is struggling with anorexia. She looks in the mirror and believes that she is overweight When in point of fact, she is starving herself to death. Now, should we say, well, she alone really knows who she is, and therefore we have to let her have her own view of reality. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one possibility, but she's going to die. The other possibility is to help her to see that she does not have a body problem. She has a mind problem. And we have to help young people to see that there are those today, they do not have a body problem, they have a mind problem. Mm -hmm. And certainly once you go down the whole alley in terms of surgery, oh, I have heard terrible, terrible stories of mastectomies and everything on teenage girls destroying all possibilities of ever becoming a parent, a biological parent. You know, Anne Rand was not a great fan of Christianity. In fact, she spoke against it, but sometimes she said very wise things. She said, it's possible to avoid reality but you cannot avoid the consequences of avoiding reality. So we have to understand here that we are in a battle, a battle where money is involved, 
where false advertising is involved, where young people are being seduced into the most horrible things. And when it comes to teaching sexuality, by the way, in the book, I also have a chapter on what's happening in the schools. I use the state of Illinois primarily as my example of how all of this perversity is being taught. Now, you and I have never talked about this, but I'm going to throw this out. I don't think that Christian parents can send their children to the public schools of the day. There may still be some that are based on decency and some shared values, but we can't throw our children to the wolves. And either we have to go to faith-based schools, churches have to begin schools, there's homeschooling. Parents need to prayerfully ask this question, since I'm going to be accountable to God for the way in which I raised and taught my children. Mm -hmm. What is it that God wants me to do with his precious gift? I cannot send them. You see, when it comes to, and this relates to transgenderism, Right. When it comes to this perversity, all of us know the tremendous power of sexuality. Yeah. So a child, his emotions, his sexual drives are stimulated and he feels guilty, shame. But he's told that it's perfectly normal. As a matter of fact, right. that's one right. of the textbooks that's used here entitled It's Perfectly Normal. Every perversity you can think of that I wouldn't even mention publicly is perfectly normal. So, oh, you feel guilty. You feel depressed. You have this sense of struggling with self-worth. You must be trans. Oh, yeah. So, so we have here a very vicious cycle where everything is turned upside down and children are in the middle of this. And, uh, you know, you can have all kinds of things like uh, drag shows in libraries and so forth. But I just heard, you know, the Kirk Cameron, I don't know if you heard that or not, but he has yeah. a book he wanted to read in libraries at no. 50 and 50 said no, which is beyond all belief because they said we are interested in diversity. I point out in my book that the issue is not tolerance. No, it is dominance. Yes. And if we don't understand that, we don't know what in the world we're talking about. Well, you just made a great point, because once we help educate the kids that uh, the, the reason you're feeling this, a lot of it has to do with the relationship with the Lord or lack thereof. You know, let turning everything over to God, getting filled with the spirit, getting in his word and let your mind be renewed. But briefly, what would you tell parents like that? Because we deal with that here in California is um, you love your kids. Obviously, we love you. They already know how you feel. They know your stand. So you love them. But, you know, finding that balance, obviously, you don't want them to get a surgery. Obviously, you know, they can't have. Uh, their same-sex attractive partner over to the house? And how would parents really navigate that? How would you love them, love them through it so you don't come across legalistic, rigid, push them away? But at the same time, I, I've got to hold these boundaries. I've got, to, I've got to hold this line, you know, very delicate ba balance there. Yeah. Now, you mentioned two things. Number one, children. And I was thinking of young children. And then you okay. talked about those who bring their partners home. Yeah. Let adults. me say this, that we have to take a stand, and you've already, I think, answered your question yeah. by saying that we have to love 
they have to be assured of our love. They're going to be our children for as long as they live and as long as we live. And so we love them, but we love them too much to be deceived. Yes. And uh, we need to rethink what discipleship and commitment really to Jesus Christ really means and that they might know that there is a price to be paid for the gospel mm. and you know standing for Christ and when it comes to sexuality that's the vulnerable point you and I know all kinds of pastors who are uh, called and gifted and anointed and yet didn't have the character to support that anointing and that gifting and because of immorality there could also be other things of course mm. they've fallen by the wayside so the temptation is huge yes. but at the same time that is our calling and what we have to do is to help people think through biblically where we stand and develop within them the kind of convictions. And one way we can do that is to show them examples of people who have faced the same temptations as they have and have done so successfully. Mm. Amen, amen. And if you're just tuning in, because we're going to have this on radio, we're talking about No Reason to Hide by Erwin Letzer, No Reason to Hide by Erwin Letzer, Amazon, or ChristianBook.com, even better. I mean, I would get this, buy as many as you can, um, because we've got to get this message into the hearts of the young adults and, and even older adults. But what's happening is kingdoms are colliding. There's a spiritual battle. And so the only way to offset error is to expose it with the truth. You know, if you, if you, you know this, if you truth invites scrutiny, truth says, Hey, let's sit down. Let's talk about it. But air will always flee from it. Air will run from the truth. So with books like these, with the word of God, you, that, that is what helps offset the push of these false narratives and, and, and this culture that we're living in. I also like what you, you quoted J.I. Packer. He said, we need a fresh and true vision of Jesus Christ, not least in his absolute supremacy. Where should we be but on our face before Christ? And so that really resonated with me because small Christ, or I'm sorry, yeah, small Christian, small Christ. And I think an, our, our encouragement to Christians is to plant your face back into the Word of God. At, repent of apathy, repent, repent of capitulation, and get the truth penetrating your heart again. And then come out of that prayer closet on fire for God, the boldness of, of God underscore with love. And Leonard Ravenhill said, you, you, like he often said this, he said, you need to weep before you whip. And so that's where the brokenness, the desperation, the hunger for God. And then I believe those can be the boldest people on the planet is you can love the sinner, but you can also confront the, the false narratives and the agenda that is actually harming our kids. And capitulation is not and compromise is not uh, honoring God whatsoever. Um, so I don't know if you had any thoughts on that whole whole topic there or any any final thoughts on uh, the culture war. I do want to ask you maybe as we close in a little bit is a lot of pastors are watching. They, they follow us on pastors unplugged. You talked about finishing strong and th that's what I want to, I want to finish strong. I don't want to fail. I don't want to fall. Uh, the enemy is always after those in leadership and Christians too. But, um, 
how, how would a Christian, for example, what do you do? What are your spiritual disciplines? What would you recommend to those who need to finish strong? But that can, that can wait a little bit if you have anything else on the, on the book content. Yeah, a couple of things on the book content. First of all, to your point, to hitchhike on what you said before you asked me that question, yeah. you know, I, I think that's also in the first chapter. I talk about that the church today is where the early church was in John chapter 20 when they were in the upper room behind locked doors for fear of the Jews, right? But then Jesus came and everything changed. And that goes along with what you are emphasizing, the need always to have a fresh vision of Jesus. One other thing that I deal with in the book that I feel very deeply about, and then we'll answer your question. And that has to do with the matter of race. Critical race theory, as we know, intense. It's based on Marxism. Everybody knows that because Saul Alinsky here in Chicago discovered that he could take Marxist categories and apply it to race, not with the intention of helping. I talked to one of the people who used to work with him and he said, we were told don't ever solve problems, use them. So he saw that as an opportunity between the races to keep perpetual anger, mistrust between them. And of course, that's exactly what critical race theory does today. And that's why it has one of my longest chapters, although also, uh, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion. We can't get into all those details except to say that that works against us. But here's the statement I want everyone to hear. Critical race theory keeps tearing apart what Jesus died to bring together. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, he says, In Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek. Boy, Jews and Greeks had their differences. Bond or free. Scythian, they were marauders. Scythian, barbarian. Mm -hmm. But Christ is all and in all. Despite their different ethnicities, and their differences, there was a transcendent unity, and that's the unity that the church should work toward. And we can't do that as long as we're shouting across one another at racial fences. The bottom line is this. We really don't have a skin color, but we do have a sin color, a sin problem. And what we have to do is to work toward that and represent Christ to the world. Now, in answer to your question, finishing well. Isn't it interesting that Moses, for all of the opportunities that he had talking to God face to face in the mountain, he didn't end well. I love to preach on that passage, you know, where he was told to speak to the rock and he hit it instead. And he kept arguing with God. I want to go into the land. And God says, Moses, don't ever talk to me about that again. You're going to be disciplined now. Grace. Oh, thank God for grace. Moses made it into the land. Fourteen hundred years later, he shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration. So he made it a little late but he made it (laughs) regarding regarding ending well every pastor should have before him either as a list written down or in his mind all of the landmines that have brought pastors down so that they didn't end well and of course we can go down the list you have financial 
uh, issues, oftentimes dishonesty and all that. You have moral, which I think would be probably in most instances. You also have pastors who believe that the church is theirs. And so they think that they have to stay there to prove that they are right. Well, sometimes you have to stay there. But if you lose the confidence of your congregation and especially your elder board, you are doing the church a favor to step aside. And I could give so many examples about that to step aside and uh, to, um, uh, you know, uh, of what we have to do. I, I want to be clear here is to say, God, these people are not mine. I have to make decisions and ask this question, what is best for the congregation right. and not what is best for me? So I'm going to end with this. There is a story about St. Francis of Assisi. A beggar came to him and said, art thou St. Francis? And he said, yes. And the beggar said to him, take heed that thou be as good as men believe thee Mm -hmm. to be. So Shane, be as good as men believe thee to be. And I say that to every single pastor who is listening. Wow, that is incredible. That's good advice too. Um, And something I know we're going to end here shortly, but just to, if you could sum up, let me know if I'm off on this. I mean, you could get into a lot of different things. And I do agree about homeschooling and, and public schools. Now the public schools, it's a battles, it's a battleground. And, um, you know, parents think that their kids can be there and it can be a mission field. That's, that doesn't work because the kids are too young to be a mission right, field. Number right. One, number I agree. Two, the, number two, the parents are too busy. They're not really, it's not really a mission field. That's just a nice excuse. Yeah. You know, we use to, to do that. But critical race theory to me seems like, racism on steroids it's like they're actually oh yes racism uh-huh. exactly the white the white the white people are bad the white people oppress the it's it's actually fostering uh more racism in in our country and that's intentional yeah, mm-hmm. at the core of yeah. it. Okay. All right. So any closing thoughts, Pastor Erwin Letzer? I want to encourage this book again. No reason to hide. No reason to hide. Buy a box. Get it to young adults. Uh, I, I feel it's such a great resource uh, for us in the church today. And Pastor Letzer, thank you, too, for your leadership. And, um, you know, I, I look to uh, many men, many men uh, that have gone before us that are still succeeding from you, Charles Stanley, Chuck Swindoll. You know, I just, um, MacArthur, of course, in my area and, and you guys are, are an example to the next generation, uh, that we can finish well. We can finish strong. We don't have to, you know, you see all these people falling off. It's funny. Uh, side note, I was reading a book that, that, uh, they, they interviewed 280 Christian men who fell into moral, moral sin and were disqualified. And we know there's been a lot more since then, but at the top of the list was pride. They said, it will never happen to me. This will never happen to me. Number two, they got too busy, too successful, too busy. I I have no more time for God in the morning. That time of repentance and brokenness, the prayer closet, they were too busy. And then the vast majority uh, would counsel those of the opposite sex. And so I think there's a lot of wisdom in that as well, too, and and those those landmines. So anyway, is there any closing thoughts you have or do you want to uh, end it here? Well, I'm going to try to recreate what I say in the epilogue of the book. No reason to hide. 
It comes from a true story at the uh, from Colorado, the Garden of the Gods. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's in Colorado Springs. It has a, it's a huge area with very high stone mountains. Well, there was a man, a father, who was climbing to the top. His daughter was behind him, and suddenly she froze because she looked down and she saw how narrow the trail was and she couldn't go anymore. And he gave her three pieces of advice. I hope I can recall them. Number one is don't look around. Look only at me. Number two, uh, keep climbing. And I forget what number three is. After all, I have permission to forget, given my age. Yeah. But the point is simply this. She was able to make it. And in this day in which we look around with so many shouting voices, what we need to do is to hear the voice of God. Now, having said that, I have to add one other thing. Do I have time to do that? Absolutely. All right. In my book on uh, the topic of uh, propaganda, I tell this true story. One of our pastors at the Moody Church, a young pastor and his wife were having their first baby. He was in the delivery room and suddenly it was clear that there was panic. And the reason is the little baby had her shoulder caught in the birth canal. Yeah. Now, here's a young father absolutely frightened until a doctor came over to him and she looked him in the eye and said this. In a moment, there are going to be 20 people in this room, but I don't want you to be panicked. Be calm. We've been here before. We know what we are doing and everything is going to be okay. And when you listen to all the political wrangling and the arguments and the anger back and forth, and you have all this buzz, remember this, God knows what he is doing. He is fully in charge. And for those who love and serve him, everything is going to be okay. Listen to that voice. Wow, that is so encouraging. Thank you so much. And I want to encourage our listeners, no reason to hide. I can't recommend it enough. And as I said earlier, I only got through chapter one. I was just, I put the book down three times. I prayed, God, give me the boldness. I highlighted. And then that's when I reached out to you to see if you'd like to come on because it's, we are at a critical crossroads. We are, our nation is at the crossroads where, you know, the next couple of years, uh, I believe a spiritual awakening is our only hope to awaken the church. And that often comes from prayer meetings and, and seeking God and boldness being filled with the spirit. And that, uh, so you're, you're, you're lined up with everything I believe as well. So anyway, Pastor Erwin Lutzer, I, I thank you so much for coming on Idleman Unplugged and uh, maybe we can do it again. God bless you. I hope so. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much too. If you've enjoyed this episode of Idleman Unplugged, be sure to send us your ideas and topics for future episodes of the podcast. You can send us an email at westsidechristianfellowship.org or shaneidleman.com. Again, my name is Luke Duncan, and I am your host of Idleman Unplugged. Thank you for listening to us today, and join us again on the next episode.
Thank you for listening to Idleman Unplugged. For more information, visit us at shaneidleman.com. Again, that's shaneidleman.com. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. El Paseo Publications proudly supports the Westside Christian Fellowship Radio Network. We are committed to quality in Christian publication. Free ebooks can be found at westsidechristianfellowship.org under free ebooks. Books such as What Works for Men and What Works for Young Adults will help readers understand that the obstacles ahead are never greater than God's power to take you through. Books such as What Works When Diets Don't and Feasting and Fasting demonstrate how health can be achieved from a biblical perspective. Other free books such as Answers for a Confused Church and Desperate for More of God show the importance of fully surrendering our lives to Christ. And One Nation Above God is a must-read for anyone concerned about the direction of America. Again, free downloads of these eBooks are available at westsidechristianfellowship.org. We are happy about partnering with the Westside Christian Fellowship Radio Network.